raise this chair up a little bit. But you can't move it on the carpet without getting up. Okay, that's better. I'd like you to meet Mama B. Now, how close does this screen, should the screen be to the microphone again? Yeah, that's my mom. She's on a one-woman mission to mother a mentally healthier world. And I'm Rebecca, here to help. And this is Advice from Mom. My mom has been a psychologist and family therapist for, well, since before I was born. And I am a proud baby of the 80s. She's older, she's wiser, and she is ready to pave new pathways to delivering her motherly affection. Oh, Lordy. I I didn't bring my shovel, Rebecca. (laughs) But I think you will find that my mom really cares about you. Each episode, we answer three questions sent in by listeners like you. And each question gets three healthy doses of advice. First, you'll hear from Mama B with her 30 years of experience as a family therapist. Then, you'll hear me do what a daughter does best. Give her a hard time about what she just said. Well, mostly ask her follow-up questions in a segment we like to call Mother-Daughter Pickleball. In honor of my mama's favorite sport. And finally, we get a second opinion. Because it is always a good idea to get a second opinion. It is also a good idea to remember that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended for diagnosis or treatment of medical or psychological conditions. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional. Stay tuned at the end of the episode to find out what big life question we'll be tackling next, and also how you can get advice from mom. On this episode... We explore what happens when your life takes an unexpected turn. Part of it is that no one ever teaches us how to be gentle with ourselves, how to be kind to ourselves and forgive ourselves. My mother used to say to us as kids, why pay interest on a debt you don't owe yet? Usually people are very surprised at how much the people around them have already noticed. A lot of the biggest changes are ones that you didn't even know were happening. I think it also confirms people want to be validated. They want to be understood. And sometimes, especially if somebody is a little more introverted, they don't feel understood at all. It was not the way I planned it. It wasn't the way I wanted things. But it was what was. As my wife often has said, you know, listen to your inner voice and not theirs. Sometimes we need to feed our inner soul so we can get a better understanding of the direction of where we need to go. I think you sent me like 20 emails in the course of an hour. (laughs) That sounds like me. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. We start by chatting with a gentleman who crafts life detours for a living. Eli Horowitz is a writer always at work on innovative ways to bring his stories to life. Most recently, and as adored by podcast listeners everywhere, he wrote the podcast telenovela Homecoming for Gimlet Media. So Eli, how do you approach creating life detours for your characters? Well, let's see. Uh... I feel like whenever I'm making anything, it's all about 
solving problems. It feels like the story ends up in a bind and it's just there's only one way out. So at the time, it feels very logical. It's not like I ever go in trying to make things detour. It just, um, I guess I stumble into it, which maybe is like life. (laughs) Does that relate to your personal life philosophy? Sure. You know, maybe sometimes we actually decide I need a big change. But I think probably looking back, a lot of the biggest changes are ones that you didn't even know were happening. Or you maybe thought one change was happening, but really a different change was happening. So, yeah, I think it's hard to see a master plan until after the fact. So you've also sent your readers on some interesting detours, especially with The Silent History, which is your digital novel that uses GPS to unlock site-specific stories. What's it like to send your readers on these kind of adventures? When it went well, people were just enjoying the detouredness of it, Um, kind of the old cliche about the journey versus the destination. So to the extent that you can take that angle with how you understand your own life, I think that's for the best, you know? The same way you, in a story, appreciate the way it's, you know, surprising you or subverting your expectations or taking to new territory, you know, easier said than done. But if you can have that kind of long view for your own life, that probably lets you endure it with a little more humility and persistence. So, Eli, as you know, this show is all about advice from my mom. But what you probably didn't know is that that same mom once applied to become a nun. I did not know that. And did she, was she rejected or what? Well, do you want to hear the story from her? I mean, clearly you know the ending. My mom must have had a life detour in there somewhere for me to be talking to you right now. But there could have been several. She could have been accepted and then fired, or she could have birthed you while being a nun, for that matter. Like, and then being excommunicated. So there's a lot of story left to be told. Yes, there is. So I'm going to hand this story back to my mom, Mama B. It's hard for me to know. When I first started to think about becoming a nun, I was a dutiful, obedient Catholic daughter who went to Catholic grade school and high school. But it's not hard to figure out what influenced me to think about uh, doing that. My parents would say things like, we hope that one of our daughters becomes a nun and one of our sons becomes a priest. So I certainly probably just took on that responsibility early on. And I also loved just being in church. This sounds a little strange, I guess, but it was like walking into a cool vault. And the tall arched ceilings were completely covered with ornate paintings of saints and angels and very beautiful light, which was brought in uh, through the stained glass windows. (laughs) It's enough, when I think back, it's enough to make a kid think, this is what heaven must be like. It It was my refuge. Until I was about seven years old, we actually lived above a tavern. It it was a two-bedroom apartment, and there were seven of us living there. 
So I remember sleeping instead of lengthwise on the bed, sleeping on the width of the bed and having probably two or three other siblings next to me. So I think part of me was just looking for some peace and quiet because it was not usually peaceful and quiet at home. So I was really active in the church all throughout my schooling, especially during grade school. And I used to sing with my friend who would play the organ. I mean, this huge, huge organ. And uh, sometimes there would only be three or four little old ladies sitting in the pews for mass on a weekday night. And as I was finishing high school, committing my life to, ch to the church as a nun felt like the right thing to do. I probably found out about the Glen Marys through some of the nuns at, our, at my high school. I liked the fact that they were helping people who really needed help in Appalachia. And I didn't really know much about Appalachia, but if these nuns were doing it, it must be a good thing to do. Uh, the nuns were also very, very progressive. Some of them played guitar. They had a real simple philosophy, and it was a smart philosophy, I thought. I don't know if this was their theme song or whatever, and you may know of it. It's called, It is a Gift to be Simple. Oh, I know at some point Rebecca's going to ask me to sing it. Anyway, not today. <laughs> and, and so I did apply to the Glen Marys. I got on the bus in my hometown of Milwaukee and I rode all the way to Cincinnati for an interview and a few days living in the convent and I was gonna be considered for admission to the Glen Marys. And once I got there, I was really struck by how quiet and peaceful and almost um, harmonious the setting was, the, the, the convent was. And I really enjoyed that. And the singing, oh, I love Gregorian chant. So part of the admission process involved in-depth assessment, uh, both intellectual, psychological, and physical. The doctor will see. There was a nun in the room. It was a male doctor. And all of a sudden, the physician asked me, Is there any chance you could be pregnant? And I was aghast, and I said, No. There's no way. Are you sure there's no possibility? So, dear listeners, as you well know, this episode is about life detours. And so I'm going to take a detour here and tell you the end of my story at the end of this episode. Ooh, my mama is cheeky and on theme. If that's the way it's going to be, let's get to some questions. Here's the first one.
Four years ago, I had just gotten married, and my husband and I were thinking of moving to Sonoma. Now I'm a single parent living in Las Vegas. I've changed my career to interior design and gone back to school full-time. I'm also working full-time, parenting full-time, trying to build a business, trying to build new friendships here, and, oh, trying to date. Boy, it's exhausting just to write it down. I chose to move to Vegas when I was pregnant and separating from my now ex, because that's where my parents retired. I never thought in a million years that I'd live in Vegas, hence the life detour. Weirdly, it's been a really lovely, calm, quiet place to heal, grow, and reboot to say the least. It was definitely a big deal to change careers at 40, both professionally to start over and financially as a single parent. There's a really big learning curve at my job, and I'm always struggling with the quick turnarounds that my clients need. Rationally, I know it's okay, but emotionally, I feel like I'm failing because I can't quite figure it out. How do I stop being so hard on myself? It's not like I'm trying to be perfect or feel always in control, but I somehow create these expectations that I have to meet. I'm the one always telling my friends to just do you. It's all good. Give yourself a break. Why am I unable to do this for myself? Signed, Vegas Single Moms Club. With all the things on Vegas Single Moms plate, how can she balance the responsibilities while not being so hard on herself? Here's some advice from my mom. Well, thanks for that good question. Vegas Single Moms Club. You are obviously high energy, high achieving, a complex person, and I think very independent. You may also be one of those people who really values being competent in every area of your life. Boy, those are tall orders. So in your question, you're actually asking two very good questions. The first one is, why? Why am I suffering in this way? And the second one is, how can I change myself? Uh, Certainly, the negative self-talk is sometimes just an old bad habit. I know that I sometimes will remind myself, wow, that's just your old bad habit and you don't really need that anymore. And that sometimes will help. A second explanation is that it is probably not humanly possible for you to competently do all the things that you mentioned that you do. You might be setting your expectations way, way too high. And that is dooming you to disappointment. We high achievers are just like this. We're tough on ourselves. um, We're self-critical. And part of it is that no one ever teaches us how to be gentle with ourselves. How to be kind to ourselves and forgive ourselves. So uh, many people are very interested in the why behind their if you will, mental health struggles. But to me, the more important question is, how can I change myself? And the simple answer is, we cannot do this stuff in our own head. Changing our behavior, changing our perceptions, 
think is not simply a cognitive exercise. It's much more to do with real life experiences, practical steps in real life. Because you are so busy, you will do the best, I think, with help, preferably from a good therapist. A good therapist can provide you with a plan, guidance, and structure, all of which are very hard, not impossible, but very hard to do by yourself, especially when you have as much on your plate as you have. If you feel uncomfortable asking for help, I have only one thing to say, and that is do it for your child. Everything that you think about now somehow gets picked up by those, those wonderful little kids. Do it for her or him. The other uh, suggestion I'll make is that, and you might be surprised, but get outside and do things with your child. It's really important for children. So next, uh, some suggestions as to um, changing some of the self-critical thoughts. I invite you to write down all of your self-critical thoughts. And then I invite you to record them. And then listen to each one. And then a second time, you should listen again to the whole set of things but this time with the volume turned down a little bit. And I invite you to keep turning the volume down and repeat listening over and over again until your volume is, is down so low that, it's, that the words are barely perceptible. And um, that may help you to turn the volume down in your own head. It's, a, it's kind of a metaphor for that. Maybe it's time for you to have a kind of rebellion against your own past, against your own negative voice. Talk back to your thoughts. Let me give you a specific example. First, I have to quote what you said in your question. I am still struggling to get these quick turnarounds. So the reality check here is that the experts on People in new jobs, the experts say that it takes a whole fiscal year to get oriented to a new job. So, of course, the initial period on any job or any startup is, is very labor-intensive. I don't need to tell you that. And it's also very nerve-wracking. It really pushes you to your limits. But the payoff will not come right away. It'll come later. So I invite you to consider you're making an investment in your own future. I think it's time for... Mother... Daughter... Pickle... So, Mom, I'm very impressed that you went multiple words into answering this question before you said lower your expectations. <laughs> to me, this one was like, oh, Mom's going to be... She's going to be biting her tongue to not say that right out the gate. <laughs> You're right. To me, this one is, is really about lowering your expectations and kind of ties into the bigger theme of life detours. Yeah, that's right. So this turn down the volume exercise is all about recording the negative voices, but not so much the positive. 
Is that right? Correct. Uh, because that's where she's focused right now. So it's important that we start there. And maybe uh, verbalizing it for some people is even more important than, say, writing it down uh, in a in a journal or a diary. It better out than in, <laughs> uh, just as we say about certain bodily functions. Oh, yay. You went there. <laughs> I did. I did. I can't deny it. <laughs> Whether single mom can find a therapist or just even quarantine an hour in her schedule, maybe every other week, for mental health time. And maybe that just means hanging out with a friend who makes you laugh nonstop. Mm -hmm. If single mom hears these suggestions and they leave her more stressed out than less stressed out, I would say then now's not the right time to do anything. You're in coping mode. Just you're getting by mm -hmm. with what you need mm -hmm. to do. You mm -hmm. have a lot of things on your to-do list. But maybe at some future point when the job seems less stressful or it feels like uh, trying to grow your own business is more under control, maybe that is a time to open yourself up to these other possibilities. You can always come back and re-listen. Yeah, she has to reassure herself that that's fine and good. Whatever comes out of this is fine and good. Whatever happens, I'm doing the best I can for sure. This second opinion comes from a mom who's backed by popular demand. You may remember Rhonda from her advice in episode two to Doubtful Dater. She's also had some life experiences that give her great perspective for a Vegas single mom. Vegas single mom, what I want to say to you today is, is that I can relate to all of your endeavors. I can relate to your, your mental pain. I can relate to your, your physical tiredness that you're going through because I am a single mother too. Just last year, I was going to school full-time, working a full-time job, uh, not involved in any relationships, although many times I was lonely because I didn't have anyone that I could turn over in bed and talk to and relate to. But what I decided to do was get in Get in connection more with my inner spiritual being. Finding a quiet uh, time and place where I can sit and talk and connect with, with myself and find out who I am, uh, what are the goals that I want to set because I don't know what your spiritual connection is. I don't know if you are one who likes to, you know, maybe do yoga once or twice a week or if you believe in a higher power such as God or if you have a Bible around where sometimes you can find just a few minutes out of the day to read a couple of scriptures and maybe something that you can read and process that can apply to your to your life, which becomes food for the soul. Sometimes we need to feed our inner soul so we can get a better understanding of the direction of where we need to go. Every goal that I've set for myself, I've accomplished, but there's still more to do. And at times life can become so emotionally and physically overwhelming that we become so tired, but we don't wanna give up. Please don't give up, Vegas single mom. You're gonna accomplish each and every goal that you've ever wanted in your life. Here's our second question. I'm a 26-year-old American living in London. I'm getting married in a few months to the best person ever, and I have a career that I really like, and I'm struggling with debilitating fear of, well, everything. To be specific, I'm mostly afraid of health issues and dying. I recently became pregnant. My fiance and I want to have children soon, 
but we are in the middle of moving back to the U.S. from England. We won't have anywhere to live, let alone jobs, for a while while we get our footing in a new country. So we made the decision to not carry through the pregnancy. One week before my procedure, I had a miscarriage at six weeks pregnant. When we went to the hospital to have a scan, they couldn't find the embryo. It was gone. But they did find a rather large cyst on my ovary. The nurses reassured me that it was normal and had no bearing on my fertility and hadn't caused my miscarriage. But it left me paralyzed in fear that I had miscarried due to my own health, my body, my fault. I haven't been able to get past this. The idea that my body failed me has me worried that this is what will happen when we do want to have a baby. I'm starting to wonder if my constant worry and anxiety over my health is becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've gone to doctors and been tested for everything out there, and there's nothing wrong with me. I'm a normal young adult. But every time I get a tinge of pain anywhere, I immediately assume the worst. At this very moment, I have a small bit of pain in my side, and I'm trying hard not to assume that I have breast cancer. How should I cope with my fears? Signed, Nervous in London. How can Nervous in London deal with her anxieties around her health? and focus on her bright future. Here's some advice for my mom. Hello to you, nervous in London. I'm very glad you sent us your question. Sometimes life is just too much and too fast, and that's what you're experiencing, of course. Bravo for you. You took the first step and you reached out for help. Clearly going at this alone would be very risky for you. So from your question, I assume you have some clear strengths. And those are, first of all, you're open and direct. And you're very flexible, I think. You're independent. Probably you have a sense of adventure. But I'm worried about you. Your stress scale score is off the charts. If you had mild anxiety, I wouldn't be worried but you're having fear of death. That's one of the worst fears there is. It's almost like you are lost in that forest of worry. And so we're gonna guide you as best we can out because of course you can't do this alone. As I see it, you have short-term and long-term choices. So in the next few weeks or months, I strongly encourage you to strengthen your support system. Even if they live far away, a strong support system is the factor most strongly related to good mental health. If you are an extremely independent person and you haven't told anyone yet about your predicament, this step of letting loved ones know may be real hard for you, but it is critical to you breaking through the isolation if you haven't told your fiance about your fears, especially the fear of death, that's where you should start. And I think things will be a lot better for you once you nail down when and where to move. You and he should soon make some specific plans for the future. What I call the couple teamwork. It will bring the two of you closer, guaranteed. So another short-term strategy Take control of the things in your life that you do have control of. 
And that seems to be kind of critical. Sometimes when people are very upset, they don't even feel like having fun. But if generally you listen to music and that helps you, you should do that more. If you like to read, continue to read, increase what you read. If you usually exercise, do it more. You get the idea. If you can take control of those things, and even if you're just going through the motions at first, doing this, I believe, will stabilize you emotionally. Stabilizing things is one of the basic strategies I use always with people who are in crisis. But these are only band-aids on your fears, which might work for a little bit, and I hope they'll give you some short-term relief, but they won't address the paralyzing fears. So the most helpful strategy, long-term strategy, is to get professional help. And at this point, I, I can almost hear everybody out there groaning, oh, she's going to talk about therapy again. When you're facing such big life changes as you are, you will need a therapist or, or a social worker or a counselor or a minister or somebody to guide you through. I suggest finding a therapist who does something called cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT would be especially helpful to you because you have that self-critical, blaming inner voice that's turned up to top volume right now. So if you are not ready now, please promise yourself to consider it again in the future and from time to time. Finally, reassure yourself that this episode of severe anxiety and fears has been triggered by the very high stress that you have in your life currently and not by any shortcomings on your part. That could only be the sound of one thing. It's time for Mother Daughter Pickleball. So when you talk about the forest of worry, I think what you're offering is some band-aids. But I think ultimately what you're saying is she's going to need an IRL therapist to really get her through to a long-term solution. Yeah, yeah. This is a very serious situation, and, I, and I'm really worried for her. And uh, I have no idea whether she is as isolated as it might appear to me. She needs people around her who care about her and can support her. And usually people are very surprised at how much uh, the people around them have already noticed, but have been either too polite to say or just, you know, wanting to be, to be respectful. Uh, but they um, can be a tremendous help. And people always love it when you ask for their help. Once you ask them for help, then they have permission to ask you for help. So it, it really comes full circle. But every change is a change. That's what you always say, Mama. Change. It's a constant. <laughs> every change is a change, and Nervous in London has a lot of changes going on right now. Uh, I wanted to offer a couple more short-term Band-Aids. Okay, good. Please correct me if you don't think these are good ideas, of course. So one of the things I was thinking about is how every decision can be quite taxing if you feel like you're in a state of constant change. So what can she remove from her life that stresses her out? Whatever it is, just identifying where the additional little petite stresses are coming from so that they don't 
add to your overall um what what would be the opposite of a bucket of fun? A sludge platter of stress? <laughs> Ick. All the icky. I almost thought you were gonna say that those people who always ask her for help, she should ask them for help now and, and see if she can't delegate. I know some of this stuff you certainly can't delegate, although there are wedding planners. <laughs> Reading this question and hearing, I know you already sent me a link to share with Nervous in London, which I'm going to share directly with her. Yes. I am reminded of something that you did several years back when I was looking for a therapist. Uh-huh. And I referred to it to a bunch of friends as the therapist inbox bomb, where you figured out the type of therapist that would be good for me to see in San Francisco, like you did for Nervous in London. And then you found a database and sound, sent me all of the options in individual emails. I think you sent me like 20 emails in the course of an hour. <laughs> that sounds like me. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But you know what I did with that? What? I forwarded it to so many friends. Whenever friends would tell me that they were looking for a therapist, I'd be like, oh, I've got an inbox bomb for you. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, um, I'm so glad that that kind of information is now available to us. It's such a help. For a little more help, I always find it useful to hear from someone who has been through a similar situation. Certainly nervous in London, your situation is quite unique. But some of the feelings that you express in your question have been tackled by journalist, writer, and advocate Suzanne Rico. So nervous in London... You're really talking about a universal human emotion because, of course, we all have fear. I mean, some fears are worse than others, but there's not one of us who gets off scot-free, right? In my particular case, it was a fear of not becoming a mother. This idea that my body couldn't handle this most basic female function was horrifying to me. And actually, it was pretty paralyzing for a while. It almost led to a split with my husband and I withdrew into myself. Every day, I spent it being afraid that my pregnancy would end. And then, guess what? I had three miscarriages along the way. So I had to do two things to stop the spiral, this negative spiral of fear and despair that I had trapped myself in. Number one was to give up control. I just had to say, my body is going to do what it's going to do, and no matter how much I try to will it otherwise, it may not be. And then finally, I had to actually look the fear right in the face. So maybe I wouldn't be able to have biological children. Not being a biological mother was not the way I planned it, wasn't the way I wanted things, but it was what was. And when I finally accepted that, I felt this sort of calm set in. It wasn't really that I wasn't sad about things or scared, but it was so much easier to just flow with what life was giving me than trying to fight it all the time. I was exhausted from the fear, and I imagine you are as well. So the second thing that really helped me was to make a plan B. There's lots of ways to skin a cat. And once I let go of the fear of, well, maybe I'm never gonna be able to be a mom, and I grabbed onto the, I can be a mom for sure, things started to happen for me. I got pregnant. This was on my fourth IVF attempt. And this time I stayed pregnant. This didn't mean that the fear didn't went away, but I didn't fight it. 
and I tried to make a calm, healthy space for myself to stay in and for that baby to stay in. And guess what? He did make it. Fast forward two years when I couldn't get pregnant again, instead of really spiraling out, I just decided, okay, let's start adoption proceedings. And then through a set of circumstances that still seems slightly miraculous to me, a friend of a friend offered to be a surrogate for us. And my second son was born nine months later. So infertility, losing my parents, I've been fired from a high profile job, I've gotten a divorce. And I guess that's the point I'd really like to leave you with is that we all have hard things. We all have fears. And I don't ever want to discount them. But my mother used to say to us as kids, you know, when we were worried about something, she'd say, why pay interest on a debt you don't owe yet? And these fears are very real, but the key is in how you deal with them. And it really should become a lifelong practice. Our last question is from a listener who hasn't experienced a detour recently, but maybe could use one. Here's the question. How do you know when it's time to move on? Is it when you first ask yourself the question? Is there a time limit of how long you should stay somewhere, like a job? I'm a thoughtful, quiet, single guy who's had the same job for the last 10 years, and I've lived in the same place for the last 14. I'm in the midst of an emotional week. I felt humbled by my coworkers celebrating my work anniversary. I felt sad and regretful after coming across my grandparents' obituary and not visiting them often enough. And I'm fearful that I will soon be evicted when the building that I live in is finally sold. I'm trying to balance my anxiety of not making a change while everyone around me moves on. It's a question of making a change for the sake of change but I don't really know where to go. Signed, Long-Term Tenant. Should Long-Term Tenant move on to something new? What do you do when you don't know the first step? Here's some advice from my mom. Hello, Long-Term Tenant. From your question, I know you have two big issues. One is the job situation and the other is your housing worries. So for now, because you have absolutely no control over the housing issue, uh, I think you should put all your energy into considering your options for your job situation. But first and foremost, please don't even consider taking a different job unless you feel really ready to do so. That's the only reason that you should change jobs. And right now, I believe you are not ready sounds like currently you are a very solid citizen on the job and so the good news is they've kept you employed there for quite a long time they must like your work and maybe at this job your role is different than your co-workers role maybe your role is to kind of stabilize things over the years, I've been very interested in the research on companies that tend to change very fast. And when they do that, they sometimes fail in their mission because everything happens too quick and they don't really have things stabilized. You have your own distinctive style, and that's the style that works best for you. In our references, 
we will give you information about a questionnaire that I would strongly suggest you take. And you can find it online, and it's called a Kirzy. You'll actually have fun with it. if uh, It's similar to the Myers-Briggs inventory, which you may already know about. I bet coworkers love working with you because you do your job, and probably in a kind of a quiet and effective way. Who wouldn't like a coworker like that? It is fine to consider job hopping. It's fine to do that, but I would say really important to make a plan. And I invite you to give yourself a whole year to decide and to weigh all your choices in terms of making a job change. You know, we are creatures of habit, but the longer we've been doing something, the harder it is to change. So hold on to your job. And in the meantime, between now and when you do make a decision, hopefully many months from now, I think it would be smart for you to make some small changes in other areas of your life, uh, apart from career. So I wonder if you'd be comfortable expanding your horizons to include uh, possibly a hobby or a new hobby or any kind of new activity. I think that might help you to kind of get get a little bit more accustomed to the idea that things are going to probably change. As Rebecca and I say, the only thing that we really can predict is that everything will change, which makes it hard for us human beings, huh? Hiya, Mama. Let's play Mother Daughter Pickleball. What I thought of when I read the question was that this is all about a person's decision-making style. So long-term tenant might be surrounded by people who make decisions very differently than he does. Very good point. It's sometimes hard to know how we make decisions as individuals, but I'd encourage long-term tenant to think about other big decisions he's made in his life. And how has he made those big decisions? Do you have a sense of whether you know, the Kiersey instrument would be a good idea to suggest to him. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. It's actually something that Brian, my husband, and I talk about a lot. His job is in a much more corporate environment than mine. So he's done one that is called True Colors. Oh, yes. Instead of having four letters, you have just a your most dominant color and your most recessive color. Okay. Yeah, the other one that Brian's used at work, which is the most fun name ever is Who's Who in the Zoo. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that one? Mm-hmm. I like it very. I, I don't know a whole lot about it except what people have told me, but it sounds like a wonderful instrument. I mean, it's not going to tell you things you don't already know about yourself, probably, but it's going to tell you in a holistic way. But I think it also confirms people want to be validated. They want to be understood and sometimes, uh, especially if somebody is a little more introverted, they don't feel understood at all. And this gives them a way maybe of validating who they are and that it's perfectly fine who they are. Whatever comes out of this is good and fine, like you say. Yeah, I use it a lot with my clients. And they sometimes they go, how did you know that? And I said, well, you answered the questions. <laughs> you know, they're sort of spooked. Oh, this, this person can read my mind? Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was thinking also that this might be more of a generational thing. We don't, we don't know how 
old long-term tenant is, but we know that he's old enough to have worked somewhere for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he's probably not a young Mm -hmm. millennial. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, a different lifestyle for sure, a different job style, career style. Yeah. But we also know that one of the common assessments of millennials is that they do like to hop around a lot. Mm -hmm. So if there's any chance that long-term tenant is around a lot of millennials in his workplace, Mm -hmm. he might feel really the odd man out while everyone else is hopping to and fro, and here he is staying put for 10 years. Very, very useful thought, Rebecca. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. For for this question, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to get a second opinion perspective from someone who is not of the millennial generation, mm-hmm. who is the anti-millennial? Ooh. Ooh. That made it sound more scary than I meant it to be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mom, put dad on the microphone. Well, he, um, he is, uh, he just came in with the food for supper. And then he's going to watch 60 Minutes. And, and at that point, um, if I know him, it will be fall asleep in your chair time. But I, I, I will re- totally let you and he negotiate that. I'm, I have no, I'm, I'm Switzerland, really. Hello, long-term tenant. This is Papa B, husband of Mama B and dad of Rebecca. I personally wouldn't recommend... Uh, moving on because of you know others suggest that you do I stayed on for over 20 years at my job turned out to be very interesting I was able to to select projects mostly about inventing secondary uses for military related technology with the inventor of the first MRI equipment a pretty important piece of equipment in today's world I met John Glenn for a few months while he was training at our uh, facility. And I helped uh, over a period of a couple years, a low cost community, basically to get rid of the slum landlord that was locking a lot of them into a very dead end type of a situation. I did all those things on one job. So again, I would only change if you are really unhappy and not interested in what you're doing and have a terrible situation As my wife often has said, you know, listen to your inner voice and not theirs. I know this is called advice from mom, but uh, here we have a little bit of advice from some dads. The only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. That came from Steve Jobs. Well, to me, Steve Jobs' idea fits with what I did. I I stayed at my job, took on some new work, and began to love what I did. And finally, uh, a statement from a famous dad, Abraham Lincoln. Whatever you are, be a good one. That's excellent. You don't even have to record it again. Woohoo, Dad! How's that for couple teamwork? So you've been very patient for a story I'd now like to title, Mama Bee Gets the Out of the Nunnery. We pick up where we left off. So there I am, sitting in the physician's office, with very little on, very few clothes on, and the doctor has just said to me, is Is there there any any way that you could be pregnant? pregnant? 
and I sincerely knew that there was no way I could be pregnant. Well, there is one way. Sister Glen Mary, is it possible? And I wondered what the nun in the room thought about what the doctor just said. So I'm sure you've already guessed I was not accepted into the convent that day. But it was not because I was pregnant. Because as I knew, I was not pregnant. No way. But what the doctor had actually found in me that uh, was actually growing was a tumor. Happily, they found that early on. And I had to have that taken care of before they would consider admitting me. And even though I had just gotten some really scary news uh, on the medical front, on the bus ride home, I felt completely relieved. I thought, oh, this means that God doesn't want me to become a nun. So that means I can get married and have kids which is what I think I actually really wanted to do. Thank you, Mom, for that beautiful story and a wonderful segue to tell listeners what our next episode is going to be about. Get ready for this. It's about moms. Have you got a question about your own relationship with your mom? Or maybe like what it's like to be a mom or like support a mom? Ask us all your questions. Go to advicefrom.mom and send your questions in pronto because Mother's Day is coming up. Advice from Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It is produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza Bortman. Editing and mixing by Juliet Heinley. Audio assistance by Brian Garza. Publicity by Jane Riccobono. Happy birthday! Workbook editing by Natalie Arbell. The theme music is by Love Jerks. I'm the girl in the bond. The song that you heard throughout this episode is called Rebel in Motion by Scissors for Lefty. That's my lovers of the band. Special thanks to this episode's guests, Eli Horowitz, Rhonda L. Metcalf, Suzanne Rico, and Jerome Bortman. Voice of the Doctor in the Nun Story by Paul Cox, Juliet's Neighbor. Voice of the Nurse by Juliet Heinley. On air for the first time in this podcast. But not the last. A big thanks to you for listening, sending in your questions, and to those of you who beta-tested our breakup workbook. I think I've decided it has to be my big summer project to print these books. Get them out to the world, people. So if you like this episode, please subscribe. Feel free to star bomb us on iTunes. But most importantly, tell your friends. Help Mama B on her mission to mother a mentally healthier world.